Welcome to the RACGP Future Leaders podcast series. My name is Vicky Moriarty and over these episodes I will be exploring leadership topics with organisation leaders who have demonstrated their ability in their respective fields and whose story we hope will help guide and inspire you on your own leadership journey. I would like to welcome Dr Liz Miles, whose leadership experience includes President of the RACGP from 2012 to 2014. Uh, Liz is a GP in New South Wales at the moment, has held a number of leadership roles, and we are delighted to be able to talk to her here today. Welcome, Liz. Thank you, Vicky. So first of all, would be great for us to hear about your own leadership journey. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yes, certainly. Well, I guess uh, like most people, I uh, owe a lot to my parents. And right. I would say my, my father was a, a secondary school teacher and my mother was a social worker, uh, but they both went on to hold significant leadership positions themselves. And I think they instilled in me uh, a really strong sense of social justice. Yes. You know, I can remember lots of family dinner parties where we'd be sitting around, you know, arguing the politics of the day. Mm. Um, and, you know, at the time I just thought that was kind of pretty normal, but I now recognise that it was actually um, really important for me in developing my sense of values. Yes. Um, and, and just, just the importance of um, where your values take you in terms of a leadership journey. Mm. Um, my mother certainly was a fantastic role model and had the belief that women can do anything. Yeah. She often used to say to me that um, you know, women will only apply for jobs if they think they can get them, whereas mm-hmm. men are more than happy to put themselves out there when they haven't yet got the skills of the position. And I think that was an important recognition that, you know, sometimes we hold ourselves back and she was very good at actually taking on uh, roles women hadn't held before. So I, I've got a lot to thank her for in that regard. Um, I think they also, you know, we had lots of conversations around things like where, you know, I mean, if you're not happy with the way things are going, if you're not happy with the system, if there's something wrong, you know, uh, within a professional or an organisation or or just in terms of the way things are done, then, you know, there's not much point in just whinging about it. Yes. Uh, you really need to try and take action to change it. Um, and, you know, that that's quite an empowering understanding as well, you know, that, that really we have the capacity to shape our futures much more than we often think we have. Mm. Um, so so they, they were all sort of important things that I learned growing up. Um, when I finished school, I was actually very young and I was pretty shy. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. So I did a, a, um, a science degree and then later went into teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, was also important in terms of um, giving me the confidence to speak in front of large groups. You know, when you're talking to high school students, I can tell you they're often not necessarily that interested in what you have to say. Yes. <laughs> so, so you really do have to shape your message to engage them. You know, you have to try and bring them along with you. You mm. have to get them enthusiastic. And um, and so, so having that daily experience of an audience that was 
um, maybe interested, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was really good training, um, and uh, I think it was also good to have that time outside of medicine just to appreciate what you know life is like for you know most people mm. and how unbelievably privileged we are as doctors with the opportunities that we have in our career. Mm. Um, so I started medicine at 28 and, uh, I, I, you know, think that maturity helped me. I certainly found that I was, um, busy sort of taking issue with lots of things in the course and also, um, when I finished my training and I became a GP registrar, you know, speaking up in the GP registrar meetings, yes. um, and that, I think, is a very common experience for a lot of GP registrars. If you're a little bit outspoken, then someone will tap you on the shoulder and ask you to become the registrar liaison <laughs> officer. <laughs> so, so that was what happened to me. Um, at that point in time, the RACGP was responsible for training. And so yes. I was the RLO for New South Wales. There were two of us who were doing New South Wales. Um, but we connected with all of the registrar liaison officers around uh, Australia and had our regular meetings. I just, I just couldn't believe how lucky I was to be in a job where I was actually being paid to do the sorts of things I loved doing anyway, you know, talking about how we could make things better, um, sharing ideas, you know, getting together with a whole lot of colleagues and being able to debrief your experiences, it was it was really fantastic. Yes. And um, so and and I think that got me very engaged. So from that point in time, I um, started uh, taking on representative roles on committees. Mm-hmm. So I was the GP registrar, uh, the GPRA. Uh, representative on the Board of General Practice Education and Training, and I did that role for seven years. Um, I was also got onto the New South Wales MACT Faculty Board. Um, and, you know, if you sit around and speak up a bit, then it's that same old thing where someone sort of taps you on the shoulder and you discover that, in fact, um, you know, when they're stepping down, they're very keen for you to take it off. Yes, yes. (laughs) So I I, I guess it wasn't particularly a planned leadership journey. It's not like I sat there and thought, I want to be college president. Yes. It was more that um, as you gain experience and you gain networks and you have a vision that you can communicate, that people, um, you know, they want you to speak on their behalf. Mm. So that, that sort of... What happened to me? I was very fortunate to have a couple of fantastic mentors along the way. Okay. Um, I when I did my um, internship, I first, I met Simon Wilcox, who was at that point in time the uh, director of pre-vocational training okay. at the hospital. Yes. And and he said to me um, that general practice, you know, he he chose general practice because he's someone who likes. A lot of variety. He likes to be continually learning, um, and there are other personalities. You know, people who love to do the same thing and get to know it really well. Um, to be able to do the same thing, you know, a hundred thousand times to perfect it exactly, um, that he would find that very boring. And I, I totally identified with that, mm-hmm. and with the fact that um, 
you know, there was no part of medicine that I hadn't actually enjoyed. So that, that sort of took me into general practice and Lee maintained close contact and he, he, of course, has lots of leadership positions as well. Yes. Um, I also did an academic post at the University of Sydney under Michael Kidd and mm-hmm. Michael was very encouraging and he was, he was certainly someone who said, you know, you put yourself out there and then you will, you know, you will definitely gain the skills that you need to be able to do the job. So, you know, not to be uh, too frightened of taking on challenges um, when, you know, you maybe don't know everything about that role at that point in time. So so I suppose that that's pretty much how I got to this point. Okay. And, the, and, and when I was the... New South Wales and ACT faculty chair that immediately put me onto college council, mm-hmm. and um, I was on college council for six years. And after four years, I'd been the vice president, and the opportunity was there. I think to take on the role of president it was very good timing in terms of um, training as well. So I put my hand up and um, was fortunate enough to be elected. Fantastic. Yeah. And so what was the achievement that you're most proud of from your time as RACGP president? Yeah, that's a really tough question. I think. <laughs> um, I think it's a tough question for a couple of reasons. And one is that the presidency is only two years. Mm. So, you know, you probably have six months where you're learning the job, a year where you, you're kind of fairly effective and then another six months of handing over. Yes. But I came to the the role with a strong background in education and I also had a, a very strong sense that, you know, general practice is a fantastic profession, but we have to secure it mm. in terms of funding for the future. So uh, I'd say there were two things that I'm proud of. One was the um, getting the the various GP groups behind the college uh, in starting to push to get training back with the RACGP. Yes. Um, so that all, all of that started while I was president. And then the, the second thing was um, putting together a vision for a sustainable healthcare system with general practice at its core. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was worked on, obviously, by all the expert committees, but we put out that document uh, just after I completed my presidency. And I think that that's provided a bit of a blueprint for a way forward into the future. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and because the, of the shortness of the term, uh, for want of a better phrase, uh, two years, yep. really, I mean... Th- it, it's come to fruition in the past few years and certainly very recently with the transfer back of um, education to the college. Uh, that's right. Yeah, so that, I mean, really, that that's phenomenal uh, when you think about seeing that come into play and you've set those wheels in motion uh, and you've driven that. That's that's incredible to see. Oh, it's fantastic to see it eventually. And um you know, I, there are lots of people who play a part in that, obviously. Um, but to have been able to, um, you know, get that going, I, I do feel really proud of that, and I'm really glad I was able to do it. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. And so, thinking about what you described um, when I asked you about your leadership journey, you, you talked about um, role models early on in life, the perspective that you had from teaching. Um, 
the, the two very significant mentors in terms of um, Professor Michael Kidd and um, Professor Simon Wilcock. So what prompted you to take on the role of advocate for the profession of general practice, um, acknowledging all of the things that you said before? Uh, well, look, I think uh, ever since I got into medicine and then um, became a GP, I have really loved this profession. Yes. I, I think it is, um, you know, it's unbelievably rewarding for me as a GP, but I think it also provides extraordinary value for patients. Uh, it's without doubt the most economically efficient part of the healthcare system. And, you know, I, I, I really want to see it grow and thrive. Uh, and so I think you know, I mean, for me, the driving force has always been trying to secure something, make something better. And, you know, when you see something that is really fantastic and really good, mm. work very hard to expand it. And so, um, you know, it's that pesky sort of sense of social justice that won't go away <laughs> <laughs> that... that, that drives me a lot. Uh, I worked at the Aboriginal Medical Service in Redfern for 15 years. Okay, yes. Um, and again, you know, working with that community, they are wonderful patients and they really value GPs. Yes. In fact, they, they don't want to be sent to hospital. Mm -hmm. They want you to do everything for them. And, you know, it makes you realise that um, the role of a GP is very significant mm. and... Uh, the training of GPs is obviously very significant to allow us to take that on. Um, but when you when you see the value that you can add, it really, um, you know, I found it a very motivating force. So I've seen, you know, we see changes. Unfortunately, I think the politicians and, you know, maybe some sections of the community don't really understand um, what, the importance of continuity of care mm. is, and and they they probably don't understand the skill set of GPs that much either. And I think that reflects the fact that you know working people, mm. people who are at that point in their lives, who are you know potentially in leadership roles, making decisions, probably haven't really encountered the pointy end of healthcare for themselves. Yes, uh, and may not necessarily have appreciated just how important it is to have a GP as an advocate. Mm, mm. Um, so I think uh, when you see a lack of policy, mm. um, which just allows sort of, you know, commercial interests to potentially shape a profession, you know, I feel very much that we need to stand up and speak out about, you know, how this needs to be done in a structured way that preserves the best parts of general practice which in my view is the doctor-patient relationship, that ongoing relationship which distinguishes us from every other branch of medicine. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's very so, much... Yeah. Sorry, yes, it's, it's very much about um, place-based um, medicine in a way because you're in the heart of the community as opposed to yeah. in a hospital where people are going to that location. So being at the yeah. heart of the community is 
um, and particularly in Aboriginal medicine, where um, that that um, the importance of place and connection to land and um, spirit is is so vital. Um, in some ways, it's um, uh, that sort of um, f- from a cultural standpoint th- that forms the foundation of all of the communities that we are part of, yet we don't necessarily recognise that. We don't articulate that um, in mainstream culture. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that that's very true. I mean, you know, we we are, because we are community-based, mm. you know, we see people in the context of their lives. Yes. You know, we, we understand their working roles. We see their family members. Mm. Um, you know, we... Uh, understand the community that they live in, and that gives us an enormous um, well insight as well into the health challenges that they face. Yes. So I think you know general practice is very um, you know that that's why we are so efficient uh, in terms of you know early diagnosis. We're very good at doing that. In fact, we probably do most of the diagnosing in medicine. Mm, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, and providing very much patient-centred care. You know, you understand the context of the person who's coming to see you and you can really tailor uh, your advice and treatment to to them, to meet mm. their needs. Um, I, I think I just also just want to say that I, I think that uh, GPs, all GPs, are advocates and leaders. You mm. know, our skills in dealing with our patients totally equip us to advocate and lead in the broader community. Uh, and, you know, I, I would encourage GPs to take that on. Okay. And bearing that in mind, sometimes advocacy work can be a thankless task. What drives you yes. when the going gets <laughs> tough? How do you remain resilient? Uh, well, I have to say the going does get tough. It particularly gets tough as RACGP president where... You know, there can be a media spotlight and people yes. um, may, may not agree with what you're saying and uh, you feel that it's being broadcast to the whole world. Yes. Um, so I think it, they're the same resilience messages that, you know, we, we probably give kids in schools as well, that really you need to have close friends. I think you need to have close friends who are outside um, that that uh, environment, so outside your workplace. Um, and for me, you know, having close friends are actually outside medicine as well. Um, having a really supportive family, knowing that, you know, no matter how bad it is, um, you know, my kids and my husband are still going to love me. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. uh, and the dog, even if they're not around, the dog will. <laughs> um, and, and also... You know, what you learn very quickly is that something that feels huge to you, yes. um, people may notice, but they will notice it for a very short period of time and then they'll move on. So, you know, it might be a really big issue today. Um, there might be a few people talking about it tomorrow, but come next week, most people have totally forgotten it. Yes. Uh, so that however tough things may be, you know, the world moves forward. And new issues pop up and, you know, everybody moves on. I mean, probably the last person to forget is yourself, but everybody else will move on. And from that perspective, you know, it's it's really um, not that bad. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you look at what 
politicians put themselves up for, you realise that they all totally understand that the world moves on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I think I think that's partly experience um, and it's, I guess, there's no way of getting to that point without having the experience. Mm-hmm. But um, I would certainly, you know, reassure pretty much anyone who is wanting to take on a leadership role that even if you do make um, a mistake or if you put yourself out there with a strong position that people attack, um, that, you know, it's not personal. Mm. It's not about you as a person. You as a person, you're still the same person. You're just someone who's actually prepared to voice an opinion. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, and we it's easy to, if you, if you leave it at that level, then I don't think there's a, a big problem in people having different opinions. In fact, you know, that's how we get the best ideas yes. by having lots of people with different opinions shaping uh, a future position. And, and robust debate as well. Exactly. With that. Yeah. 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 So, so thinking about um, the, the context of moving on and, and moving forward, what do you see as the future of general practice? Um, so I think that general practice should have a very bright future yes. um, because we are so critical in terms of, um, you, know, you know, the first point of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are relationship-based, because we're dealing with uncertainty, um, because we do a lot of diagnosing, we're very hard to replace. And... You know, I've, I've thought about artificial intelligence and how that might impact on medicine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if you're an anaesthetist where machines could potentially, you know, crunch all the numbers that you're looking at, you might feel quite threatened. Whereas as a GP, I think, you know, people always want to talk to a person. Yes. And even with Dr. Google out there... <laughs> um, I don't think Dr. Google has reduced the number of people who are coming to see me. In fact, if anything, it's probably done the opposite. Yeah. So I think the role of a GP is really important. Mm. The, the, the critical thing is um, going to be the ability of general practice to um, transition in terms of, you know, the way in which we communicate with our patients uh, and funding models into the future because... We are now much more Mm -hmm. team-based. You know, we have the opportunity to do lots of electronic communication. um, And, but we need to have a system that supports us to do that so that we can maintain that continuity of care. Uh, We've got to really put it out there that continuity of care is safe, mm. it provides safety because people will remember what happened last time, they'll remember what's due and they'll make sure it happens um, but it's also efficient because if you've seen someone you know, for half an hour one time and then you see them maybe three or four times in a year for 15 minutes, that means you've actually probably spent you know, close to an hour and a half actually talking with them about their life and so you know, because it builds on itself, you're not revisiting the same things over and over. Yes. There's an extraordinary wealth of knowledge um, that a GP can gain about a patient where you have continuity of care. And I think that's the, the critical issue that is most at risk 
where we've got large-scale sort of corporatisation with um, business models that are maybe not being um, set up by GPs and therefore not necessarily recognising how important it is to preserve that. Mm. Um, That can be dealt with, of course, by policy at a government level. Yes. If they chose to go down a patient enrolment path, and Mm. I would certainly hope that that's um, a direction that we do take. So Mm. I think think general practice is always going to have a very strong place and GPs, the skill set of GPs is, uh, really valuable, you know, the communication skills, diagnostic skills, the ability to deal with uncertainty, um, you know, those things are essential really if you're going to have an, a cost-efficient health system but also one that's um, very safe and um, people-centred. Yes, absolutely. And and so bearing in mind that um, uncertainty that, that does exist, what, what recommendations would you make to GP leaders in their careers? Um, so, I, first of all, I would say, um, you know, if you are concerned about the future, then get involved. Um, the second thing is that opportunities present themselves at certain points in time, but they're not always, you know, they're not always there when you want them. Yes. And so sometimes you have to make a decision to do something because the opportunity is there and not necessarily because the time is right. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage them to, you know, really try and make the most of the opportunities that come their way. Mm. And I think that um, we often assume that people understand general practice the way that we do, but in fact, I think that's probably not the case. Mm-hmm. So I think the importance of taking every opportunity to really talk about the positive um, advantages of general practice and the way in which general practice can work most effectively uh, is, is really important. But there, there are lots of different leadership forums and we need to be really promoting general practice as the cornerstone of our healthcare system, Yes, as the most cost-effective and the most important, really, for our patients in their day-to-day lives. And, and I suppose the only other thing which I haven't mentioned as well, which I really do want to mention, is that we need to have a system that uh, looks after the vulnerable people in society. Yes. Because the sickest people are those who cannot pay. Mm. And, you know, so the elderly, the disabled, the people with mental health issues, mm. Aboriginal patients, you know, a lot of those people are really sick. Mm. And they don't have the ability to pay. So we have to be advocating for a system that will enable them to access really high-quality care. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. So um, those are my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, no, other than to say uh, what a privilege it is to be a GP and how fantastic it is to be able to be involved in a program where we're mentoring our future leaders. I'd really like to congratulate the college on taking that step. Um, and that, you know, for anyone thinking about uh, taking on a leadership role, finding a, a mentor is a really good step, you know, because yes. you will always need that person to be able to debrief with. Mm. And, um, yeah, it helps with the resilience. Absolutely. 
Well, Liz, I'm so grateful to you for taking the time out today to talk to us and share, um, uh, give us some insight into your own leadership journey because that's really helpful to understand how people, um, people's careers have evolved in general practice in, in that leadership context. So thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Vicky. Thank you.